0: Well, good morning, Terra Nova. If you have a Bible, turn to John's Gospel in the fourth chapter. That's where we're going to begin, and we're going to be going to a few other scriptures throughout the day, so please have your Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. Someone will be glad to bring you one. You can find your way to John 4 and then to some of the other passages that we'll reference later. We're, we're in the last of a sermon series called Ancient Upgrade, which is really about how the church follows Jesus in incarnation. How do we take the things that were true even before we were, things that are true about God, things that are true from God, things that he designed us for, part of the story of redemption and the gospel, how do we take these things and bring them to a place that, that is, that, that has time, that has culture, that has ways that things get done? Well, we, we follow after Jesus, who, who came and was present, full of truth and full of grace and we come to a place where we discuss in our, in our last piece of this, something that really brings in both channels very presently and strongly, worship. That there's a great ability for worship to unite people. When we fix ourselves on an objective center, when we turn to Jesus and all eyes are truly on him, hearts truly focused on him, the sad thing is this is one of the topics that can most easily divide the Christian church as well. We can become so consumed with how we worship, what pleases us, not the object, but the subject, the ones who are doing the worship. Is it the right style for us? Is it the right place for us? Are there enough people like us? Are things done in the time that we like them to be done in? What I'd like to do today is have us in this huge topic, which is bigger. There will be things you want to know about worship that probably won't be addressed in the sermon. Let's just get that one up front. This is an enormous topic. Here's where we will go today. We're going to try to have a better understanding of a term that I believe we've really limited in the church, especially as Protestant evangelicals. We've taken the word worship, and many times we've narrowed it to a bandwidth that is part of our creation, part of our design, and not as big as the God who we worship. Secondly, to understand Jesus as truly the key to worship on all levels, as worship coming from him, worship being of him, worship coming as uh, enabled by him. And then lastly, to gain a vision of worship that restores it to the great place. Worship not just a time, worship not just a style, worship not just singing, but worship as a life devotion, that it becomes not just a place, not just an activity, but something so consuming that our thoughts and our actions become objects, become a, a devotion of worship. We're going to read together John 4, verses 7 through 26. Lead us together in prayer, and then we'll spend our time discussing worship this morning. John 4, 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. "'I have no husband.' Jesus said to her, "'You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true.' The woman said to him, "'Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship.' Jesus said to her, "'Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father.' Let's pray together. Father in heaven, please allow a work to continue that you start and you must continue and empower in us by grace. God, would you enliven our minds to consider and know the things that are too deep for us, things of you, but you wish to show and reveal. And God, would you in the power of your spirit allow us to be men and women who are convicted of our sins that holiness also sourced in you would become part of us, that we would know what it is to be forgiven in Christ, found in Christ, guided and ruled by Christ. We ask today, God, that you would begin to change in men and women at Terra Nova our sense of worship and our places of worship, dear Lord, and that most of all, you would help us to be a community of constant worship, a people of praise. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Have you guys ever seen or had those noise reduction headphones that you can get for airplanes? That you plug them in and there's actually mics on the outside of them and they they pick up the ambient noise and then on the inside they generate sort of a countertone. Someone from RPI can explain the science to me at another time. They may be on break so maybe I'll have to live in scientific ignorance this week. But there's a way in which they pick up the sound and then generate an anti-noise that blocks that out. So then you only hear the stuff that you actually want to hear from your source. That's, that's my monkey science for the day for you. But to talk about noise reduction and the way we listen to music is a pretty easy concept to transfer to talking about static that happens when we talk about biblical terms. We can hear a word and not hear what the Bible says about it, because we're still hearing from so many other sources that are saying, well, this is what that word is, this, this is what that word is. So what I want to do today is kind of walk us through a little bit of noise reduction before we head into our time talking about worship. And it's really about worship, because we can push definitions on that word. Worship can become something you do at a time and a place on a Sunday. I'm, I'm going to the worship service. Even within that, and I think this is the one that brings the most static to biblical concepts of worship being heard clearly, we can think that worship is an individual part of the service. It's the part before and after the preaching. It's the part where we sing, which minimizes the whole concept of the word being spoken, hearing from God. That's something other than worship. We wouldn't dare worship as we hear God proclaimed, right? It means that worship is something different than the people of God gathering together. That's not worship, right? Just the singing part. So we have to be really careful how we do this. And a lot of times the static is really sourced in us. We actually start to believe in practice that worship is only at a particular place, only in a particular style, only at a particular moment. Sometimes we like it because it's just our preferences, Other times we like it because we really have almost a trained response. We got excited at some point when worship was like this, when people yelled a lot or when certain songs were played or when there were big, mighty drum rolls. And now when we hear that again, we feel a happiness that we mistake sometimes for worship. What I want us to do is set those things aside because so many times they lead us in the wrong questions. Questions like, what kind of music is right for worship. The church has argued about this one for centuries. This isn't something just in the modern era, right? The the church first didn't want pianos and organs in worship services, because the organ especially, was a tool for carnivals, and it was so worldly to have that. Many of you in your lifetimes, you you saw, or maybe still see churches where modern instruments aren't wanted in worship, because they're part of a secular band scene. It's the wrong questions. And we get passionate, but we get distracted. It it may become questions of what kind of building we worship in, what kind of style of architecture says worship. And again, we end up in these same places. The push to define worship is more than a push of subjective preferences and settings. It's a push towards seeing God himself. Acceptance of any of those limited definitions of worship Ultimately, devalue the Bible, which will define worship for us, and devalue the God we're supposed to worship. All the arguments set aside, we we find Jesus redefining the discussion of worship for this woman at Samaria. And in many places, her course is like ours. Like her, we're people who are caught in our places of worship, our traditions of worship. Even those who oppose us in the way we worship sometimes becomes more important than worship itself. So Jesus shows up. We know He is the object of worship. We know He is God incarnate in flesh. He has stood with us, and now he's standing with the Samaritan woman. We know He will go to the cross and become the sacrifice for us. We know the resurrection will come and He will rule over the world. But in this moment, this woman only sees a Jewish man coming up to her as she's doing her work alone. And her first response is about opposition and worship. What do you have to do with me? You're a Jew. See, we, we can so easily miss the object of worship, that, 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 that vertical look towards God, because we get so concerned with the horizontal. What does another church do? What do the non-church say about the church? How are we compared to maybe the last church I was at? I mean, if we could be free just from worship being defined by the churches we've attended previously, we would make great strides in that alone of getting towards God. Here, Here Jesus stands, and all she's concerned about is the opposition. You represent something that has hurt me in the past. Therefore, I can never be open to this in my life. Then Jesus speaks to her about gifts and service. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked, and he would have given you living water. Jesus' response is away from the whole idea of tradition and opposition to an understanding of the constant generation from God of cause for worship. If you knew the gift that God gives the gift that he had planned before the foundation of the world. If you knew the gift that God would give to restore all things, you you wouldn't be talking about these other things. You would turn and ask, and you would find that God, who desires to give these gifts, gives it, and then you would respond because of this. That's actually the core nature of worship, that that God creates and reveals something of himself, and his creation responds to that. It, It reflects it back. We talk a lot of times of Terra Nova, that, that process of discipleship, which to me more and more becomes the process of worship. They almost become the same thing that God reveals and we reflect. This is what creation called for. When God makes Adam and Eve, male and female, he made them in his image that he made them, that they were called on to reflect God. They would be ones who procreated like God created. They would show that God's image needs to be spread more. It can't be contained fully in space and time. Create more. They would bring order to their plot in the garden, like God brought order to this this world that was formless and without void. They would reflect in all areas, worship of him. Sometimes greater, sometimes poorer. We still follow that same process. For those who've landed by faith in Christ, they they follow a process called sanctification, where we look different at different times because we look more like him. We're not generating it. Paul clearly talks about this in the New Testament. Sometimes we get confused and think, if I just learn the moral laws of Christianity, I can generate a look that looks more like God. No, Paul says, look, you you began in the spirit. You're not going to be perfected in the flesh. God started this life in you. He gave you new life in Christ. You're not going to follow through on it by just figuring out the right actions and activities. It becomes reflecting more of Him. It's still sourced in Him. Think of the phases of the moon. The The moon has no light of its own. It simply reflects. And at different times, it seems to reflect more fully, and it looks more glorious when you see those big full moons. At other times, it actually blocks to the point at moments of, of total eclipse when everything goes dark. The, the spiritual life in Christ, the life of sanctification is like this. The more we become worshipers who see and desire what God reveals and reflect this out through our lives, upward to Him in worship, inward in sanctification, outward in living it and giving it towards others, we, we find we look more like that. But there are moments where we, we wane in those awarenesses of revelation, those affections for them, and we become little and darker. At at times, even blocking out the God we think we're calling for. God, where are you as I'm drowning in my selfishness? We've, We've turned away and fallen from being worshipers who understand the gift, God's constant presence, to be given to us. When we look at God's first creation and understand the revelation of God in creation was unique in the Imago Day, it also informs the church about something that I just want to say is a tangent. Sometimes as a church, we can hit on issues that are deeply moral and not understand more than the moralism to them. When God put life in man, when his glory was set in man, when he breathed the breath of life, life became sacred. That's why the church from ancient times has said, you know, we don't want to harm anyone, even the preborn." That's why the church has been pro-life. It's not because we we wanted to make political arguments. Heck, we don't believe, at least I don't believe, those political systems will fix the things that we struggle with. I don't believe that the donkey or the elephant will bring in the reign of the lamb. I just don't think that that's how it works. I'm not a biology major, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it goes. But because God revealed himself in life, it's sacred, it's protected. It's not because of politics that we take care of the poor and marginalized, that that the church has created hospices and hospitals. It's because we worship our God who put his life into people. It's not why we respect the boundaries of of marriage and human sexuality. It's it's an act of worship, not of politics. There's another block in worship for this woman, and God reveals it. She's happy to leave it quiet. It's sin. Jesus says, go and call your husband, and she knows where this argument could go, this line of discussion. It might reveal a pattern in her life that she's never been able to overcome, that she's found herself with the wrong guy at the wrong time on a regular basis. Five husbands and one now who's not her husband. Now, whether she's having an affair with someone else who's married or, or just living without marriage, because you know, she could be one of those people who says marriage is terrible, when what she really means is my experience with marriage, doing it my way has really not worked out well. But she tries to avoid it and, and move the discussion from a good direct response to I have no husband, a little bit of subterfuge. And Jesus then spells out clearly her whole history, reveals the problem to her. Part of the process of worship will be a call to awareness of your sin. It's always that way. As God presents himself, he cannot help but to present himself as holy. We read from Isaiah 6 a couple of weeks back, and we saw Isaiah in the Holy of Holies. And his response was, woe to me, I'm undone. I'm unclean, I have unclean lips, I dwell among a people of unclean lips. The revelation of true worship, of the presence of God, always brings with it a conviction of sin. Tara, we're going to see the evidence of greater and deeper worship, of more revelation and presence of our God, and it's going to happen when we really understand our sin more. When we see him showing up in his holiness, and there is a general conviction of sin and a confession of sin, when we're no longer like this woman, who would just as soon people who ask an oblique question about our sin get pushed away, because pridefully or fearfully, or maybe selfishly, we just want to protect those areas, but you can't worship a holy God and hold on to your sin. The two won't work. You'll be called in two different directions constantly as that goes on. Jesus takes away the blinders. He he shows you that he doesn't see in shadows, that, that God sees it all already. We're not hiding anything from him and reveals the mercy of God to stay in her presence, just like God did with Isaiah, who took the cold and cleaned his lips. She, she then brings this discussion to preference and tradition. After Jesus spells out the issues that she has in her life, that the sin pattern that she's lived out, the woman's response is really a non sequitur. After he says, you're living with someone who's not your husband, you've had five husbands, her response in verse 19, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place to worship. She, she brings back to a pattern in a way I don't want to talk about personally if you're right and I'm living in sin. What I want to talk about is we worship here on this mountain. We've always worshiped on this mountain. It's the way my father worshipped, my grandfather worshipped. This is Jacob's well. Jacob worshipped here at this well. He, he drew from it his sons, even his livestock. You know you're pretty impressed with someone's history in life when you talk about their livestock with, with that kind of awe. Preference and tradition can invade and cloud worship or preference and traditions, can really elevate people to worship. The methods and structures don't have to be in opposition to worship ever. But when they become so important, that they become a permanent place no matter what, even if people don't understand them, they become an obstruction. If we talked about preference and traditions and worship, we'd probably find a lot of commonality in this room, because you've come to Terranova largely because on some level you felt A kindredness to the way the Word was presented, the way the worship music was played and sung, the style and environment of the atmosphere. I get that, but if we talked about church tradition in a larger sense, we broke out of just this room, we would find there's so much going on. Over the centuries it gets even deeper as we look at how it was on different places. I'd love to see us be a church that was informed by all the good things throughout history and traditions, and we're able to take those and bring them in. I, I really praise our worship leaders, because I think they do a great job in doing that. We, we don't need to be afraid because someone used a certain structure, and we don't need to keep every structure, because the church has always done it that way. The preferences are going to vary constantly. Uh, when, when I was in India, I had no idea what the cultural norms were for church. All I knew is what I knew from you know, my vast, varied experience in the United States, which had no bearing over there. So we found out there were certain traditions. We went to one of these larger house churches, and when a pastor visits, you are treated like royalty. They, they brought me and sat me like in the, the, this huge head seat. They brought flowers, they brought gifts and food, they brought my wife and kids flowers and little gifts and food. I thought, this part of the tradition, we should impose this at Terra Nova, that we should always have flowers ready for me and small gifts. But then they had another piece that I wasn't so nuts about as a tradition. A visiting pastor is expected to get up and do that Sunday's message. I would have liked to have known that on Saturday at least. But I can see the tradition of it, that you you want to hear from these messengers of God. You want another voice in your place. We need to be people who embrace that worship can come from so many avenues and that we're not shutting things down because we we hold with clenched hands what was just tradition for us. So what is worship? As we look at these things that blocked it, it, it's really a place of intersection where we experience what God has revealed. Sometimes it's an immediate moment. It stuns us. He just becomes so present. He's almost touchable to us. He's, He's almost audible in our minds. Sometimes it's from personal history. We actually look back and understand with understanding. Ah. This is what God did. He, he was involved in this, in, in this dark moment, in this good moment. I see the hand of God now, and I worship. Sometimes it's from the history of the Bible or the church that we see God's goodness, and we, and we worship. Sometimes it's from creation, the, the beauty of it, the order of it, the complexity, the elevating moments. Sometimes it's even from loss and longing that we, we sing out with worship of lament, God, how long before we see the fullness of what we've seen glimpses of? Worship becomes a place of intersection where man and woman are changed because they've seen God revealed and their consuming passion becomes to reflect that. And it's done, Jesus says, in spirit and truth. As he says, the Father actually desires this. We think of people seeking God all the time. We talk about seekers, how the church needs to reach these people who are seeking, how we assist people. We rarely think of this, that God is a seeker that he's seeking worshipers. He's, he's, he's actually looking and committed for this. And it becomes this place where if you feel you're lost from God, I encourage people regularly, find worship in your life. We know he's looking there, so why don't you go there and you'll, you'll probably meet him. If you're in that place and you really love God, here's your place to assist him. If he's seeking worshipers, help elevate worship in your own life, in all the places that should consume you of seeing and reflecting that, and in the life of others. Jesus describes it as being spirit and truth, and he's contrasting it to to historical and traditional knowledge. He says it's not going to be in Jerusalem or in this mountain. He's contrasting it to places and tradition. And he says it's spirit and truth. To to be truth-based in our worship, we have to be people who worship from the book, that we understand what the Word has revealed about Jesus and allow that to inform our response to worship. It can't just be, God, I want to worship you because I expect you to do this. I've seen too many people hurt and confused by worshiping in what they thought was truth, but really it was just something ill-informed or uninformed that they'd made up and put on God. We respond out of truth. We have to walk a line of caution. The guys that Jesus most has run in with are religious people who are committed to the book, the Pharisees. They meditated on it, which meant scripture memory. To meditate in the Hebrew meant to mutter. They were saying the words over and over again. They counted the very letters in the Hebrew scriptures. They codified the law to the point where they added hundreds of new laws and subinterpretations of the laws. They memorized massive portions. They were people of the word, no question. However, Jesus, in one of his confrontations in John 5, says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life, but these are they which testify of me, and you won't come to me that you will have life. Jesus' bias about the Bible is it's a book about him. Where we're reading it, it should point to him. It's not just pointing to good moral lessons when we read about great or failed people. It's pointing to Jesus. That that was the error of the Pharisees and can be the error of the church if we say we will love and know the book, we will love and know creeds, but we could fall into Bible-olatry and not find worship of Jesus. A place of truth. And a place of spirit. To be in a place of spirit is a place empowered by God. It's not something we can generate ourselves, that we can even call for ourselves. All of God's callings are met with His power when He asks us to do something that is only capable of being done by Him, of seeing and understanding of looking and giving our our broken and dirty hearts purity and worship. It comes from him. Worship transcends all the things we could make, the styles of music, the buildings, the sermons. All the created artifacts fall aside because we worship not in those. Those may help fuel and fill us, but we worship in, in spirit. We find ourselves informed by God and empowered by God. The Bible points to Jesus. The Spirit has said he takes from what is Jesus and gives it to us that we might glorify him, bring greater reflection of him. The Spirit points to Jesus. All the worship and spirit and truth will point to him. But after the fall, everything shifted. Flip over to Romans chapter 1. Nothing is more natural in people than to reflect the greatness of something else. It's part of our design. It's what we were placed on this earth for, was to be able to know God and reflect Him. And we'll do it in part constantly towards other things. It's football season right now. Watch guys who are really into football, and you will know men are very capable of worshiping. We will. We will sing the praises of athletic achievement. We will see something great and glorious in the comeback victory. We know lament when our team loses in overtime for the second straight week. We know how to worship by the joy that's there or the absence that's there. We, we see it. Watch people who, who really love art as they gush over what they see put out in, in film or in song or in painting, as they, as they admire the detail as they recite as though it was canonical literature, the history of this particular artist and the influences that came into this, people are made to worship. The problem is after the fall we worship the wrong things since God is clouded and not seen from our point of view anymore. Romans 1 verses 18-25 says this, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth." We're back to people who want to hold onto the sin. "...for what can be known about God is plain to them, because He's shown it to them. His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made." So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in their lust of their hearts to impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen." Where, where are your idols? Now, most likely, though I'm not surprised at anymore at what happens inside a Christian church, most likely these aren't statues that you worship in your home. Most likely. But you will find them in places where you ascribe unchecked worth. When you are excited about those things, nothing else is in your field of vision except those things. You're not saying... This is a great achievement for this team because it, it represents and shows us a shadow of the great and victorious nature of God. No, you, you, you just love these things with an unchecked value on them. They, they actually give you hope at times. You feel your life is made better when this artist puts out an album or this team wins. You put your trust at times... In these things you you seek comfort sometimes from these things at moments their success gives you the greatest joy you've ever known you love them with your eyes widened when you hear someone else mention them and you jump into the conversation because it's what you really most want to talk about more than anything else we worship all the time our lives get intertwined with the things we value our success to its success. Our community often is defined by those things we worship. I want to move us to the place from knowing more about what worship is and, and how we worship wrongly to worship in Jesus. Turning from idol to glory into the one who is the liturgist, the, the worship leader. Find Hebrews chapter 8 in your Bible, please a New Testament book. You're going to find it right before James, right after all the T's in the New Testament, which are alphabetical and never helps anyone, but they are. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. So the writer of Hebrews has said, you Jewish people who understand all the ritual of worship, all all, all the sacrifices of worship, all, all the people who were priests to worship, now set those aside, and for many of you, it's with a heavy heart. Because you knew it and you assigned value of worship to those things. And, and now we've taken you away from everything that you knew. But God has actually given you something greater. And the whole argument becomes, Jesus is greater than every piece of the worship that you've known before when it wasn't full of him. Remember, truth points to him, spirit points to him. So anything that was less than that is, is, is a less than. It's not as full as what you would have in Jesus. But, but he gives this particular description of Jesus as the high priest, a minister in the holy places, And that word is also translated in Latin translations of the Bible from where we get our word liturgy. He's the one who is the worship leader for the church. He's actually showing us how this is done. And I want to encourage you that Jesus becomes a source of worship, the worship of Jesus. The disciples knew this, and they grew in different points. We see the point where Peter will say, "'Depart from me, I'm a sinful man.'" We see the point where he quiets the wind and the waves and they huddle together and say, what kind of guy is this? Where the church gets together now and again and says, did you ever have this happen to you, that God did something like this? Hey, have you ever seen this verse and seen what it says that God actually does and how he views us? They find a place in their worship and response of Jesus where they begin to get selfish at times. What can I get out of it? Can I sit at your right hand? Can can I have a higher office, they ask Jesus, as they know that he's the object of worship? At at times, it's just to be able to say something. Peter, not knowing what to say, said. They just want to be heard in that community of worship. But after the resurrection, everything changes. If in the fall, we became idolaters, the the resurrection changed that. If death brought us to worship wrong things, the resurrection brought us back to Jesus. When When they follow out to where Jesus has called them to give them the Great Commission that says they worshipped him, but some doubted. When Thomas, who did not see him immediately after the resurrection, sees him, he falls down and says, my Lord and my God. The worship of Jesus is part of what renews and defines Christian worship. When it becomes about anything else, the, the side things that we can learn about him, know about him, the places we can have in the church, the ministries, the things we could be called, it's meaningless. There's worship from Jesus. He he displays worship rightly for us. He he said his food was to do the will of his father. When he had busy times, he did what is non-instinctive to most of us. When we have busy times, we're trying to cut things from our schedule, right? Right now I'm at a point where I feel like time is just like really tight. I'm heading to the physical cliff. I'm heading towards the time management cliff just isn't there. What Jesus does when he's in those moments, he sets aside a new item always when you find him in the gospel doing this prayer and time with the Father. He realizes this, this is what's required. The more that's required of me, the more reliant I need to become. And part of his worship is constantly throughout the gospels to find quiet places where he's worshiping. How is your life that way in being a worshiper that's informed by Jesus' way of worship? That you're intentionally building those places of worship in your life. And it's through Jesus, not just of and not just modeled from Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's one mediator between man and God, Jesus. That's in all the areas. It's in areas of access. It's when he's the high priest. It's in, it's in areas of confession when we go to him and say, I need to be forgiven. It's because of what you've done on the cross and the assurance of that in the resurrection. It's the places where we're suffering temptation and struggle, and we can go to the one who knows temptation like us. It's the places where we are confused and don't understand what God is doing. We can say there is one who understands everything about humanity and everything about the Father, the mediator. It's through Jesus that we understand worship. When I interned at a Presbyterian church, Presbyterians are usually really careful about everything, right? Everything is measured, everything is written out, they're very specific. And the liturgy of worship was laid out in in ways that repeated every Sunday, which was comforting in some ways. Other ways, it could quickly become something people got overly used to. Familiarity can breed contempt, right? It began with a call to worship, and it was always spelled out. This is the call to worship. There'd be a psalm read or maybe a short song, but that was the call to worship. Jesus does that. It says that he calls those, we see disciples, he called them, come be fishers of men. He calls his church, he builds his church. The call to worship for any Christian has already come from Jesus. You've heard it if you're a Christian today. You've heard him say, I am the one, I am the shepherd, I am the Savior, I am the Lord. After that, that call to worship, there would be a call to confession because being good theologians and good worshipers, they recognize we're called to God, but we're really not ready to stand in his presence. So, so I need further confession. I need to be cleansed by God. J- Jesus certainly calls us to confession. We see it with the woman at the well. When will we understand? He is eager to be present with us even when we have sinned, so that those sins can be revealed and forgiven and we can be changed. I think we're still so afraid to actually be honest with God about everything that our hearts believe and our passion about, everything our minds think and everything our hands do but he calls us to confession. He then displays the mercy and power of forgiveness. And these are the exact points of liturgy in, in the church services that I was experiencing there. And, and then we respond. We respond by, by hearing more of the word. We respond by singing out to him. That's the way worship looks when it's tied to Jesus. Now check those idols we talked about earlier, the things that you got overly unchecked, excited about, and love. For, for some of you, and we just finished the political season, it's all about leaders, these heroes who we, we really believe will, will, will fix all the stuff. Here's how to take that idol and move it towards the worship of Jesus. Look at Christ the King. If you're someone who's just married to all the, the rule stuff and you think that's the most important thing, that's what gets you most excited, see more of Christ the King. See, that those rulers are meant to show us two things. One, that we're meant to have rulers. That's why we pray for kings and those in authority. But also how disappointing all the rulers of the earth will always be and that we need the ruler. For some, it's compassion. What you get most excited about, and it's a noble thing, is how to serve, how to care for. Seek Christ who makes sacrifice for all the people of himself and worship in that. And let your compassion be informed by that instead of just itself. Some of you, it's really just self. It's the image of man, and you're the one whose image you've made that idol in. Here's the hardest thing. You're probably the closest and most lost at the same time. You get that in the image of man, you see something of a glimpse of the divine one who created, but you're also worshiping the thing that would keep you most eclipsing, God, yourself. You need to see Jesus as the obedient man, the one who lived like you will never do, even if you really are believing you're that good out there. Some of you, it's wealth. You need to see that it passes and see the one who says the earth is mine and all that's in it. For some, it's pleasure, and i got to believe you've never deeply known or been afraid to experience again the joy of knowing him and being loved by him because you haven't experienced the pleasure that matched that. For some, it's friends. You'll do anything to be socially popular and liked. You'll just want people to say your name. Have you ever known the faithfulness of Jesus as friend in your life where you have found when none of those other people were near you or understood you, you didn't turn to them anymore? You turn to Jesus, elevate him, be the friend like Jesus to other people as a response. Whether it's courage, strength, love, justice, creativity, design, all the things we could over-elevate. Understand, these are given by the creator. The creation isn't to be worshipped, it's to be informed and push us towards worship of him. Understand there's always more to know about Jesus. Assume that we need to grow. Assume that we need to be continuing, continuing worship there are two things that I just want to add that, that really help fuel as catalysts uh, this worship. Faith and love. Hebrews 11 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things unseen. If we can't please him without faith, our worship is going to have no value, no matter how joyful, no matter how tied in, no matter, no matter how precise, if we really don't believe Believe the things that God has said in light of not seeing them at times. Believe the things that another voice in our head often tells us is not true about us or about God. Is it confusing at times to follow Jesus by faith? Yes. It would seem nicer if it was formula, but faith would be destroyed at that point. Is it painful at times? Yes, because it doesn't always make sense. But do you get more of Jesus by following him in faith in dry and arid points that eventually blossom in the gardens? Yeah. You actually become a different kind of worshiper. I have found nothing that's changed me into a worshiper more acutely and more profoundly than pain and difficulty. I'd love to say ease did it. It just doesn't work that way with me. For some of us, it has to be that faithfulness in the journey that's so difficult that will make us worshipers. For some, it's the faithfulness in seeing the blessings that will make you worshiper. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. The, the, the other rail that I would throw in there would be love. Love is a response to love. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us and gave himself for us. Romans five will say that God has poured out his love in us through the Holy Spirit. And my favorite in the last passage, second to last passage we'll look at today, First Corinthians thirteen. Very briefly, just one through three. Says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, that have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging symbol. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, I have all faith so as to remove mountains, have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I'm nothing. All the social justice and giving, all the missions work, all the miracles, all the personal sacrifice and generosity, also remove love from it, there's nothing there. The response of worship has to be a response of faith and trust, and it has to be a response motivated by love. Last passage for the day, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We will be like something. We will worship something. We will be conformed to this world and look temporarily like we fit into a time that passes away and then something else takes its place. Or we will be changed by seeing the revelation of God into men and women who respond to him in hearts and with song and hearing word, but in the way we live and in the places that we go to. The worship won't just be on a mountain or in a temple or in Revolution Hall. It'll be in homes It'll be in parks, it'll be in offices, it'll be in transportation lines at bus queues. It'll follow the church when the church becomes living sacrifices. The the imitation of Christ requires us to to follow after him, to focus on him, and to find one who who didn't hide from the world and say, "It's, it's so sinful, I'm afraid to be conformed to it, but who walked among the world and confronted the world at times. Love the world at all moments. Not, not the system of the world, but the people of the world. That, that's where we can't hide in bunkers. We're not called to self-satisfaction and like what we have. We're, we're called to live these full lives and make them worship. You, you don't have to get there to the place where you can find Jesus to make you that. He, he, he has stood with us and promised to always be with us. You just have to turn in faith and love. You don't have to feel like your debt won't let you get there, like your sin is too heavy like the woman at the well. He he already died for us. You just have to accept by faith and understand the love that you've been given in Christ. You you don't have to worry about making it on your own and white-knuckling how you will do it. He, He already rules over us. We just have to be in loving submission and faith to what he has said. It'll change us. It'll change your response to heaven. It'll change your response to yourself and others. It'll change the way you take the most mundane things because they will become moments and objects of worship. No longer enslaved by style or place. The band's going to come forward and we'll celebrate communion. And I want you to consider Israel, who had so many objects to be concerned about and to once love that was being talked about in Hebrews the temple and the priests. When the priests would walk in, they they would have written on on their hat, which was very ornate, holy unto the Lord. And it was critical for the people to know and understand that. And they would watch him walk into this secret place in the Holy of Holies and be excited by proxy that that man could enter in there once a year to make a sacrifice. When Jesus was crucified, that, that curtain that people waited for that high priest to reappear from behind was ripped top to bottom. There was no more secret place that a priest would go in for us. On a public place, on a cross, before all who would pass by or stand near, the high priest gave his life in sacrifice once and for all the people. Holy unto the Lord is what is marked on Jesus and all those who are in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we want to see you as it was in the beginning when you revealed yourself and the image reflected you. Lord, now in Christ, we want to see you again. And we want to experience by faith what Jesus has promised. And we want to know the love of God set upon us that we can have this love poured out and return it back to you to thank you for all you have done, to tell of your greatness that was beyond what we ever considered. Lord, we want to respond with our lives being made more like Jesus, more holy, and we want the places where we go to become places of worship, God no longer tasks that drive us down or things that we love too much to elevate self. Would you please bless this congregation, draw us now in worship, and send us out in worship. In Jesus we pray. Amen.